All right. Well, if I haven't met you before, my name's Crystal. Um, I have the joy of being the campus pastor at this Crossroads location. And like I said, we are so glad that you're with us tonight. Um, as some of you may know, we're in the middle of our Counting the Cost uh, series that we've been doing. But tonight we're doing a standalone message um, for Mother's Day, and we'll be back to wrap up the Counting the Cost series next week. But before you tune out or shift in your seat when you hear the words Mother's Day message, I just want to encourage you that this message is for each and every person in this room. So I want to encourage you to stay with me. Yeah, hang in there. <laughs> Um, when I started uh, preparing this message, it was really interesting because I popped on uh, my Facebook, and those of you that may or may not be familiar with social media, some of the social media sites will give you a memory that pops up um, when you're on there. And my memory that popped up was a Facebook Live video that I made on Mother's Day of 2020. And I had just gone on a long walk, as I did much of the time in 2020. And I had been praying and talking to the Lord. And as I was walking and praying and talking to him, I just felt my heart uh, getting more and more tender. Um, to the point it was almost unbearable. So when I got to my car, I turned on my phone, and I started the video, and I felt like I was literally just pouring his heart out in the video as I spoke to people. It was just a heartfelt acknowledgement of how deeply painful Mother's Day is for so many people. I mean, I could just go down the list. I have two girlfriends that lost their moms before the age of 10. I have two girlfriends that deeply wanted to conceive children and have never conceived children. I have friends in my life that recently lost their mom and didn't know how to grieve that. There's grandmas and moms whose kids are out of state. There's single dads who do not have their children on Mother's Day and makes them painfully aware of what their circumstance is. There's teenagers that literally have never understood their moms and feel like they've never been understood by their mom. So their expectations of their relationship is just a deep chasm inside of them. There are people that became moms that never felt like they were capable of being a mom, and they feel so completely alone in their circumstance. Days like this shine a light 
on the pain that so many are feeling, whether it's loneliness or rejection, abandonment, prayers that feel like they have never been answered, and the reality of circumstances that so many people are swimming in. There may even be some here today that are celebrating Mother's Day and literally feel like they're not doing enough. They're not living up to the world's standards. They feel like no one understands their situation, and they're carrying shame and worries and guilt that they were never meant to carry. In a world that has never been more isolated and lonely, we are here in the West, especially, where we celebrate individualism to such a scary degree that we can even unknowingly help perpetuate this problem that seems to be a part of the world we live in. So what if I told you that as believers of Jesus or followers of Jesus, this is for you. We are meant to bring a mother's heart to those around us. That's part of what we're called to do. And when I say a mother's heart, I am not suggesting that we become someone's mother, though for some of us that may be what God calls us to do, right? But when I say a mother's heart, I am saying that we see people in their situation and we care for, pray for, protect, fight for, listen to them, show compassion, show love, show fun, bring dinner, get creative, defend, sit with, cry with, and hold these people in our world. Can a man have a mother's heart? Absolutely. Have you seen a single dad fight for his kids? You better believe they can have a mother's heart. Can a teenager have a mother's heart? Oh, you bet. Have you seen an oldest sibling parent their younger sibling? <laughs> I mean, my son's super good at it. I, yeah, he's uh, definitely been a mom to my daughter. The phrase, it takes a village to raise a child, originates from an African proverb and conveys the message that it takes many people to provide a safe, healthy environment for children, where children are given the security that they need to develop and flourish and to be able to raise or realize their hopes and their dreams. It takes a village, not just one person, many. So I'm gonna share an example of four women, a man, and a girl that came together to save and care for one child. And that is found in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is part of the Bible. And this story in particular starts with a reigning pharaoh that became extremely paranoid. He became afraid that if an enemy of Egypt waged war against them, the Israelites would side with the enemy of Egypt. And over 16 generations, the Israelites had multiplied to such a great number that they would make the most incredible army. So we're going to pick up the story in Exodus 1, 15 through 17. 
And this is what it says. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, and I'm going to point out all the heroes of the story as we go throughout this. So these two midwives are our first heroes in this story, whose names were Shifra and Puah. And he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God. They didn't fear the Pharaoh. They feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. I cannot even imagine the courage and the strength that it took to defy those orders. The fear of the Lord must have been so great inside of them that that is the choice that they made. We pick it up next in Exodus 2, 1 through 10. And it says this, Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. These are our next two heroes. <clears throat> and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. So try and picture what it must have been like for this couple. First of all, to find out they were pregnant during this time. It's not like they had ultrasound machines back then. So every day they're wondering, is it going to be a boy? Is it going to be a girl? If it's a girl, she lives. If it's a boy, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? She's probably already loving this child so deeply inside of her. The fear must have been extreme. But she gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Okay. We have a baby here tonight. <laughs> Can you imagine hiding a baby for three months? Have y'all heard a baby cry? I mean, you would be so worried. What if the neighbors turn us in? What if this happens? What if that happens? And you're just continually trying to keep that baby hidden and tucked away for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. This woman is so inventive and creative. And she placed the child in it, and she put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister, our next hero, the older sibling, guys. If you're the older sibling, you know what I'm talking about. She's doing what mom does, tells her to do. <clears throat> she stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. This plan to put the baby on the river, things could have gone a million different ways. A million different ways. Even with his sister watching, anything could have happened. But God allowed the time that she put the baby on the Nile to coincide with the time Pharaoh's daughter was out bathing in the river. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. And she saw the basket among the reeds, and she sent her slaves to go get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying. And she felt sorry for him. 
This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. This whole scene is a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. Pharaoh's daughter would have been raised to hate the Hebrews. This would have been one of her sole purposes in life. But when she saw the basket with a Hebrew baby, her expected response would have been to push the basket back in the Nile and let him die. But Moses was crying. God put compassion in her heart, and she acted on it by adopting the baby instead of allowing him to suffer and die. A miracle. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So what the what? You guys. So the girl went and got who? The baby's mother. The baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. Not only did she get her baby back in her arms, she got paid to be his mom. Does God do exceedingly more than we could ever ask or imagine? Oh, you better believe he does. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter. Just so you guys know, he was 10. She got to be his mom and teach him all about their ways, her God, his God, and love him and care for him. And Pharaoh's daughter became his mom, and she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Wow. That's what a village can do, guys. That's what a village can do. This group of people, starting with Shifra and Pua and Amram, who's the name of Moses' dad, and Jochebed, the name of his mom, and Miriam, the name of his sister, and yes, even Pharaoh's daughter, who we've already discussed the fact she was supposed to be the enemy, were all people who acted out of faith and compassion and conviction and defiance against earthly kingdoms bent on harming the weak and vulnerable. In fact, Moses' parents are listed in the incredible hall of faith in the book of Hebrews. It says in Hebrews eleven twenty three, 23, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. These traits that these people had came from their creator. They protected even if it meant losing their own safety. And here's what I need you to know. God wants to birth these traits in us. He wants us to carry these same qualities. So what is our village? I mean, here at 2nd Street, look around. We have people. We have young adults. I, I sat with a young adult last week and somebody said, is this your son? And I said, no, but I'll take him. We have widows. We have single parents. We have young families. We have a village. 
that needs a mother's heart every single day. But there's more. I want you to look outside the walls of this building. What is your village on your street? What is your village at your workplace? Where is there a need? Because I promise you it's everywhere. It's not even so much what we're meant to do, but who we're meant to be. This is a story about a baby that would grow up to become Moses, right? God would use him to deliver a nation. But what if God used him to deliver a pizza? Right? He cares that much. He cares that much that he would surround the boy that grew up to deliver a pizza. But I think the way that we truly walk this out is we have to understand the gravity of who we are and whose we are. Because Jochebed, she knew who she was. She understand, understood whose she was. There was no doubt in her mind. It was by faith in her God. That's how she had the strength and courage to do what she did. We can't live our lives by the lies of the enemy and the lies of the world because those lies leave us crippled in insecurity, believing everything we aren't instead of focusing on who we are. We have to walk in the truth. And the truth is that God is for us. He sees us. He loves us. And he calls us his. That is the truth. In Luke 13, 34, Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. I had to look up, what is it about a hen? What is it about the hen? And I found this. I found in previous eras, the hen embodied the essence of motherhood. In the first century AD, there was a Roman historian who praised the many ways in which mother hens cherish and protect their chicks. They, by drooping their wings, some creep under, and receiving with joyous and affectionate clucks, others mount up on the backs. Can you picture that? and run up to them from every direction. And though they flee from dogs and snakes if they're frightened for themselves, if their fright is for their children, they stand their ground and they fight it out beyond their strength. Is that a mama or what? They would rather die for their chicks than seek safety in flight. They would rather die. I was thinking about the mother hen, and I was thinking the areas I see mother hens, and I was thinking about the after-school program here and how Megan and her staff are like mother hens with those kids. There's no one, no one that's getting to those kids, not on their watch. Did you know there's 10,000 children in Ogden that need after-school care? 10,000. And I was thinking about our youth leaders and our Sunday school teachers that serve and protect and love our kids. 
Where are the kids in your life? Is there an empty seat at your table? Is there a place where you could serve and love and protect? In Isaiah 49, 15 through 16, it says, Yet Jerusalem says, The Lord has deserted us. The Lord's forgotten us. Never. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. See, I have written you, written your name on the palm of my hands. During the Babylonian exile, Israel felt they'd sinned so grievously that God had forgotten them. They believed that God was just done with them. That was it. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way before. Like, surely this is it. God's done with me. That's it. I've messed up too much. But when we read this passage, we see God's heart so clearly. He uses this beautiful imagery to give us assurance that in spite of the discipline he'd administered, he had not forgotten Israel or the holy city, Jerusalem. He could have used any picture in the world to describe his heart. And this is what he chose. God compares his love to the love of a mother for her nursing child. Asking the question, could a mother forget her child? Most of the time, the answer is no. However, in the event a mother did forget her child, God would not forget his people. As dedicated as human mothers are, God is even more dedicated. A mother's love extends indefinitely behind, 